Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 11. Episode 31. This is Running Excuses, Futurism with Trina Phillips. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. I'm Dan. And we have special guest star Trina Phillips. Trina, tell us about yourself. Um, I am a science fiction writer that uh, has found my way into being a futurist. Um, and I will say it is a major upgrade from working retail for many years. <laughs> <laughs> and so now I get to do both. In my own time, I'm writing stories and novels. And uh, for work, I am working with Fortune 500 companies to um, look at the future. And usually they're the big old companies that do everything slow. And um, so they don't know how to deal with how quickly things are changing nowadays. Excellent. And... I want to mention we are live at Phoenix Comic Con. And we are very thankful for the crowd here in the audience. Um, I want to ask you, can you just outline a little bit more of what futurism is, just in case there are listeners who don't know? Yes. um, Futurism and science fiction are sort of two sides of the same coin, but they're rather different. Uh, Futurism needs to be somewhat rooted in a believable fact. Um, And I say that because when we write our science fiction, we can go way out in other galaxies, use some hand wavium, make anything happen. Uh, But futurism, most of the time, my job, I'm looking 10 to 20 years out. A lot of futurists look up to 50 to 100 years out. Mm -hmm. But we need to root it in the technology that exists today and understand how quickly that's changing, how quickly people are going to adapt to it and make some somewhat realistic projections yeah, on to, where we think things yeah, to will my be. Under, to my understanding, uh, good futurism seeks to be predictive in useful ways. Yes, mm. absolutely. Although Arthur C. Clarke is really well known for saying that if anything that, he, that you predict now that sounds reasonable isn't going far enough, and if it sounds absolutely crazy, you're probably going to be proved right in 50 years, but everyone right now is going to think you're crazy. Hmm. That's the paraphrasing. And it seems like futurism might have grown out of science fiction writing, because a lot of the early futurists were people like Arthur C. Clarke. Absolutely. They've always kind of run side by side. Excellent. So let me ask you this. Um, How does your work in futurism inform your writing? Well, it definitely makes me think of um, things like the idea of transhumanism and Mm -hmm. people altering themselves you know, in my earlier writing, I didn't really use that much. You know, uh-huh. I, I took regular people and, and put them in the future. Now, if people aren't being augmented in 100, 200, 500 years, I think there needs to be a reason why. Mm. Um, you need a society where somehow that has broken down. So if you look at what we're already capable of now and you just imagine how mm-hmm. quickly things are changing, because everything is just getting faster and faster and smaller, um, 
you just have to imagine that anything is going to be possible, and it's not 500 years down the line, it's one or 200 years down the line. There was a conversation in uh, uh, the Facebook group for the Schlock Mercenary fans where somebody said, uh, you know, we don't need to worry about that because, you know, uplift of primates is, you know, a couple hundred years off. And I said, no, No. No. we got got enough of the primate genome now that all you need is a billionaire with a secure facility and an unlimited, or excuse me, a steady supply of monkeys. Yeah. Maybe a secret lair. But but, uh, the the point being, um, a lot of these things uh, that we talk about as science fiction uh, are not waiting for the technology to be developed. They're waiting, waiting for some sort of a strike point where the right things come together so that it happens. It, and, mm-hmm. and frequently that, that strike point is funding. Mm-hmm. Like, we actually yeah. had mm-hmm. the technology to go to Mars. There was a Mars plan in 1944 that they could have done with the technology available mm-hmm. then, but they didn't have the funding. Yeah, it's really kind of amazing how many futurist concepts have suddenly become plausible thanks to Elon Musk just mm. being yeah. rich and deciding to do it. Right, right. All it takes is one supervillain. Make <laughs> everything comes together. Okay, so I have a question for you, Trina. Yes. Um, my new series is Cyberpunk, set about 35 years in the future, and I have found that it is relatively easy, ha ha ha, um, to predict <laughs> where one branch of tech is going to be in 35 years. You know, I think I have a pretty good handle on, say, self-driving cars and where that's going. Mm-hmm. But trying to predict what society will look like when self-driving cars and drone technology and internet and space and gene and, you know, bioprinting, all of those combined, what will that look like? How do you do that? <laughs> um, well, you have to look at you do. You look at ecosystems and what's going to affect everything else. And you have to know that certain parts of society are going to adopt and accept certain things. Certain parts of society will reject it. Things like countries that are, you know, third world or behind where we are now, what are they going to look like in 30 years is going to be way different than what the more advanced countries are, are doing. And yet, um, you know, they're still going to be far ahead of where we are. Now. Well, and what I, what I found when I uh, traveled to South Africa in 99 is that they had already leapfrogged yes. us in the term of in, uh, deployment of uh, cellular tech, mm-hmm. mobile tech, because they could not afford to lay down the wires. They didn't have the infrastructure, and so everybody wanted telephones, so up go the cell towers, and everybody's talking on cell phones. I was amazed. Yeah, there's a lot of leapfrogging. Like India um, is going to leapfrog right over with when they if they start getting on the renewable energy, they're going to leapfrog over a lot of the the coal and oil stuff and just go straight to to solar and all that. Very in the next ten fifteen years. Yeah. So. And historically, one of the things that's interesting is that whoever is controlling power, like actually has power. Like Holland with wind power, England with mm-hmm. coal. Um, so I'm going to be interested to see if they leapfrog us in terms of energy, what that would do to mm. societal things. The interesting thing with energy, though, is if it just gets to the point where every country is producing their own, mm-hmm. it's going to have an interesting effect on the market. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because so, we can all produce our own. Yeah, I, I have a question for you that takes mm-hmm. it a slightly different direction. Um, are there certain strategies you have seen or that are in your discipline that have had better results for prediction, predicting the future, as opposed to other strategies? Are there things that writers, perhaps our, our listeners, might be doing wrong if they want to be accurate, um, and ways they might have a better shot? 
I think the biggest thing I see, um, and we work with a lot of writers, freelance, mm-hmm. and I think the biggest thing I see is that they're not thinking far enough okay. ahead. Hmm. They're not looking at what they're looking at what we have now and thinking, you know, when we say 10 years out, they're giving me something that's two years out. Mm-hmm. So you have to really just look at how quickly things are changing. And since so much technology is now in the hands of everyday people, things, yeah. uh, you know, uh, gene splicing and all that is much more accessible than we would ever have thought it to be. Is there any discussion yeah. of AIs and the control problem and things like that? Or is that just kind of not where your companies are, are looking? Well, we're, um, we are working and we're creating like um, Alexa apps and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. That's one of the things we do. And so we're looking at AI. We're sort of assuming it's going to happen as mm-hmm. far as preventing it from being the disaster of science that yes. we see in all our science fiction movies. Yeah. We, we, aren't, um, we aren't bending the right ears for that. We're mm-hmm. trusting that someone else someone is handling else is. that. That's from what I understand what everyone working in AI is saying. But <laughs> Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for three forty nine dollars a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Um, Let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week, which is actually The City of the Future, edited by you. Can you tell us a little bit about The City of the Future? Um, We uh, just put together the anthology. We decided on a theme of The City of the Future uh, between now and 2050. And we asked our writers uh, to all contribute. And we got such a diverse mix of stories. We got stories all over the planet. We got stories where there were um, cities that were running themselves but had great personality. We had, uh, you know, third world countries that were just getting started with everything being connected. Um, And a city where everything is always surveilled, and Mm. yet that made the people feel safe rather than, you know, watched over in Big Brother. Interesting. So um, we got a really excellent selection. And um, and this is a know. collection of short fiction yes. with a futurist bent trying mm-hmm. to accurately predict what the city of the future would be like. Relatively. But mm-hmm. in, I'll be honest. In this case, we asked our science fiction writers to just write science fiction. Okay. Mm-hmm. I have a story in there, and I did that because we give this to a lot of our clients. And yeah. if they're going to hire us, they should kind of know my abilities. Right. Normally, I know the editor doesn't. Uh, put their own story in. Well, George always puts one in the, the George Martin anthology, <laughs> well. so I think that there's precedent. But um, my story, I tried to bridge mm-hmm. science fiction and futurism, mm-hmm. but we didn't actually ask that of our authors. Okay, excellent. And where can the people get a copy of this? Honestly, you can get it on pretty much every electronic media, mm-hmm. um, Barnes & Noble, everything else. It's also available in print, uh, Amazon Create Space. Great. So it's I every format. I see two hard copies here on the table and not five. <laughs> we have a whole backpack full of them. We have some for the audience, too. Not, I, can't get, I can't get everybody, but... Yes. And sorry, listeners that are not here with us. Yep. You can't see the huge, <laughs> smile, the huge smile on my face. They can all go buy copies. Yes. Um, now... You had something else when we were talking before that was really interesting to me. You talked about writing for corp companies in a corporate structure. And um, this is a little off topic, but I think it'd be really useful to our listeners to hear about how a writer 
like yourself, who's primarily a science fiction writer, ended up writing for Fortune 500 companies and what it's like to do writing for them? Yes, it is something very different. Um, I ended up, I started out freelancing for mm -hmm. Sci Futures, and we, um, they liked my work enough, and I was local, and everything worked out great, so they ended up hiring me. And so Sci Futures is the company that provides the futurist... Um, yes. Yeah. We're actually a science fiction prototyping company. Okay. So the ideas oh. that we come up with, we also have a tech side that can build them. Okay. So we kind of create I, things out of thin I'm air. I'm so happy that that's a thing. I'm like, <laughs> I, I want that job. <laughs> and so um, part of what I do is I help, a lot of times, we, as I say, I work for big old companies, most mm. often, not always, but... Um, we have to sometimes convince those big old companies that they mm -hmm. need to do something more progressive and they need to move faster and they need to, to be thinking ahead. And part of what I do is I help in the storytelling make that a much more palatable thing as to why they should spend all this money on doing these projects. I don't mean that in a sleazy salesperson kind mm -hmm. of way. I'm trying to show why these technologies will benefit people as well as their company, but why they're a good thing to move toward. So, so if I'm understanding correctly, does this mean that, like, say, a, a huge financing company comes to you and you want to teach them the value of some particular technology, and so you write a story that uses it? Yes. And that kind of normalizes it and helps them see it functioning? Yes. That is so cool. That is <laughs> yeah. amazing. I, I'm actually judging a, a, um, a, a similar contest mm -hmm. uh, for... Um, it's called Futurescapes, and it's designed to come up with cities that are accessible in a way that is understood. You know, we all understand the power of narrative, mm. uh, and it's to go to mayors in different American cities. You know, when I worked at uh, when I worked at Novell, we did what we called contextual inquiries, which is where we would watch users do the things that they tried to do during a day, and and then try to communicate this back to engineering, and it always broke down because we tried to describe what they were doing to the engineers instead of doing what you do, which is storifying it so that mm -hmm. the engineer has a narrative that they can picture. And I've had the for good fortune also, we've worked in graphic novel format, we've done animatics, mm. short films, and so I get to explore all these different media. Why is this not my job already? <laughs> I know. I'm like, this is the coolest thing. It is. It's absolutely awesome. And the, there is kind of, my boss likes to call it a healthy tension, I'll call it a slightly frustrating tension, <laughs> between pure creativity and mm -hmm. corporate needs. Mm. Yep. Um, and it's not that frustrating, but you know. Um, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, the story is great, but they want to put in all these things that, yeah. that slow it down a little bit and all that, or change it. And the first year, there was a lot of back and forth, and they had to learn that, no, you can't have a story do everything in 12 graphic right, right. novel pages. Yeah. And then I had to learn where it's like, okay, well, that's what the customer wants, and so we got to get it in. Okay, so, so I really want to ask, and maybe you're under like a non-disclosure, and so you can't answer this question. Could you give us a specific example of something you've, you've taught to a company this way? Um, well, I, I'll give you a couple company names. Okay. Um, we've worked with Ford and Crayola and Hershey's and, and Lowe's and General Mills, and I will say that um, Ford and Hershey's, I have specifically seen things get to market that we worked with them on. Cool. Some, some 3D printing of, of candy. 
Oh yeah, I saw oh, a three D uh-huh. candy printer. Yeah. yeah, that my kids wanted one. They were like fifty bucks or something for a candy. It was exa- <laughs> I'm exaggerating, but it was really yeah. expensive. But they're like, oh, I can make whatever I want into candy and then destroy it and eat it. it sounds great to me. Um, let's say our listeners are like, I want to get more involved in futurism. This, I think, this would help my writing, or it's just interesting to me. What resources could you point them toward if they want to get involved in this? Um. There is there are some newsletters I like to keep up with. Mm-hmm. One is PSFK Laboratories. Okay. Um, another is the Creators Project. It's a little more artistic, but they mm-hmm. always have some tech stuff going on. Um, Singularity Hub okay. is a good way to go. And Arizona State, Arizona State University, I believe, has a program. Okay. Um, but also, there is the World Future Society. Mm-hmm. They've been going through a little flux and change lately, but they're probably worth at least looking into. Excellent. Well, we want to thank you very much for coming and being on the podcast. We want to thank Phoenix Comic Con audience. Um, And Trina Phillips, thank you very, very much. Thank you. This has been awesome. And Trina, would you be able to give us a writing prompt? How about we have everyone try to write, pick a city anywhere in the world, and write what you think it'll look like in the year 2045. Excellent. That's awesome. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson.